Chapter 5 of King Mumbo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. King Mumbo by Paul de Chalieu. Chapter 5 Crossing the Ecuador. The Southeast Trade Winds. The Equatorial Current the gulf stream struck by a tornado land inside africa at last the great forest in spite of the counter currents and contrary squalls we crept slowly southward to meet the southeasterly winds the captain taking advantage of every opportunity offered by the weather after many discouragements and setbacks, we at last crossed the Ecuador. One afternoon a squall rose and drove us southward. After it had blown over, it became calm again. Then we saw far away ripples on the ocean, which gradually came nearer and nearer. These ripples were the forerunners of the southeast trade winds that were coming towards us. Soon after, we felt a cool, gentle breeze, and a shout of joy came from all on board. Our imprisonment in the doldrums was over. The southeast trade winds were at first very light, for we had reached just where they were dying away, close to the region of the doldrums but towards evening the breeze freshened the next day white caps covered the sea and life became pleasant once more the southeast trade winds were strong and now we had the same beautiful blue sky as under the northeast trade winds and the same beautiful white and often transparent clouds these southeast trade winds have also blown from the immemorial the hot air of the south african continent bringing about the same results as the hot air of the desert of sahara then we tacked ship and laid our course towards the west coast of africa i asked the captain if i should have to pass again through such dreadful regions as that of the doldrums when I returned home. No, he replied, on the return trip from the equatorial regions of Africa, we sail with the southeast trade winds south of the Ecuador to avoid these dreaded doldrums carried onward by the southeast trade winds until a few hundred miles off the coast of Brazil, then we get into variable and often light winds. Then I thought that if our little ship were left to drift within the area of the northeast or southeast trade winds, in the course of time she would reach the South American coast, then drift gradually northward, and if not stranded on the way, would get into the Gulf Stream. Then he carried northward, passing
surpassing the latitude of New York, whence we came. The northeast and southeast trade winds caused the initial movement of the currents, which, in their course, make the current known to us as the Gulf Stream. The two trade winds blowing continually from the hot regions of Africa drive the hot water of the tropics from Africa westward towards South America, and this current is known as the equatorial current. The Bight of Biafra in the Gulf of Guinea may be considered the headwaters of this equatorial current, which runs all the way from about 18 to 25 miles every 24 hours until it strikes the South American coast. This equatorial current strikes the American coast about Cape St. Roque, some 300 miles south of the Ecuador. The obstruction of the land divides the current into two parts, one going southward, but the greater volume of water going northward, with great increase of velocity for the simple reason that any current, even in a river, that finds an obstruction runs more rapidly along the obstruction. So, the equatorial current, which presses northward along the coast from Cape St. Roque and the Orinoco River, flows with great rapidity, from 60 to 80 miles in 24 hours. Then it passes the Caribbean Sea, turns westward and follows the shores of the Gulf of Mexico at the rate of from 30 to 60 miles a day. The Gulf Stream flows along the American coast, from which it is separated by a cold current from the icy north, forming what might be called a white band separating the Gulf Stream from our shores. We ought to be thankful to this cold water band, otherwise our climate would be much warmer. Now we were sailing towards the west coast of Africa, the innermost part of the Gulf of Guinea, situated somewhat near the Ecuador. At last came the day when we were not more than 150 miles from the mainland. In the afternoon of that day, a dark, compact mass rose from the east over the horizon and became larger and larger in spite of the contrary winds that struck against us. This was a contest between the two, and one had to get the mastery over the other. The captain was watching anxiously that part of the horizon. Finally, he turned to me and said, A tornado is going to burst on us very soon. We must be ready when it strikes us. So all the sails were furled. The muttering of the thunder could be heard. The wind had died away, and the calm was the forerunner of the tornado. In the meantime, a grayish spat rose from the horizon under the black mass. Soon after, 
this great spat rose with great rapidity, driving and breaking the dark mass into black clouds that flew wildly in every direction. The tornado was coming. We saw the sea enveloped with spray, and in an instant it was upon us. Fortunately, we were ready. The wind blew with terrific force. Our little vessel careened over, the gun whales of the starboard side almost reaching the sea. The force of the wind was so great that it prevented the sea from rising into big waves. Then came rain, lightning, and thunder. Never in my life before had I heard such thunder, or seen such vivid lightning, or such pouring rain. I was constantly afraid that we would be struck by lightning, and I had powder enough on board to blow the ship to pieces. Gradually, the thunder and lightning moved away from us, and the wind, though strong, moderated. By that time, it was night, and as dark as pitch. When I awoke in the morning, the wind had gone down, and I saw an island covered with forest. After a noon observation, we found that it was Princess Island, belonging to Portugal, and situated about 150 miles from the coast of Africa. Two days after, we came in sight of the mainland and saw the great African equatorial forest as if rising from the sea. Far inland were mountains clad with trees to their very tops. The forest was inhabited by numerous savage tribes who had never seen a white man and ferocious and strange-looking beasts seen in no other part of the world. In that great forest I was to live, and we skirted the shore until we found a proper anchorage. Then we saw numerous canoes filled with men paddling towards us. These came on board and inquired if we wanted to barter for ivory with them. They had, they said, a number of big elephants, tusks in their village. I replied that I did not want to trade with them, but would like to stay with them and kill wild beasts and birds and stuff them and collect also all the butterflies and insects I could and keep them and take these to the country of the white man. We told them to go back and to tell their king that I was coming. One canoe remained behind to take me ashore. How strange was that great forest. Not a tree was like those we had at home. Their leaves were different in shape, and some of them were large and beautiful. Many of these trees bore brilliant flowers. Some were as big as the California trees. The foliage was so thick that for long distances in the forest, the sand, the moon, the stars, and the sky could not be seen. 
there were hunting and other paths leaving from one village to another. The way from one tribe to another was often very tedious. At a certain season of the year, there was great thunder, lightning, and rain, preceded by tornadoes. This was called the rainy season. Then there was a time without rain. This was called the dry season, or inomo. I had no white man with me, and as time went on, I learned many languages or dialects, so that I could talk to the people. When I was absent, the kings or other friends took care of the goods I left in their hands. End of chapter 5